Retail Revolution, a unique podcast that features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omni-channel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to current socio-political issues and challenges and their implications on fashion retail, as well as opportunities to innovate and rethink retail's future. Visit RetailRevolutionPodcast.com for more information, including full transcripts, and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Retail Revolution Podcast. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design. AJ is a creative strategist and trend forecaster specializing in the fashion and lifestyle sectors. Her 13-plus career, spanning editorial, strategy, and creative development, has been spent at some of the world's most notable companies, including LVMH, Condé Nast, and WGSN. As a revolutionary in her field, she's focused on connecting the dots between culture, brands, products, and consumers in dynamic ways by producing innovative solutions mapping the cultural landscape, forecasting consumer behaviors, and identifying emerging trends. Hear more about this dynamic changemaker on Retail Revolution Podcast with Christopher Lacey. Welcome to the show, AJ. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to have you. Can you briefly tell our listeners a bit about your career and and what you do? Yeah, so I actually started out at the new school. So I'm a new schooler. I went to Lang. I spent a lot of time at Parsons. I actually started the school's radio station, WNSR. So yeah, that was kind of my thing. And then I really wanted to be a fashion editor. So I started to do stuff in the content realm and I started to feel like, okay, this is definitely shifting in a way that is contracting and I'm not really going to be able to hang out here much longer. So a couple of years ago, I switched over to strategy and then from strategy, I started doing marketing stuff. And then I really got into trend forecasting about two to three years ago. And since then, it's kind of been a mishmash of kind of all of those things, which I love. So I'm happy. (laughs) I love whenever we have a new school grad. So welcome. Welcome back to the radio world for you. Yeah, thank you. It was a long time coming. So AJ, I want to talk to you because what you do is really changing the game and giving some vision to what we're going through right now. And I want to ask you... What is the most interesting trend that you're seeing as a result of COVID-19, but specifically on the retail market? So COVID didn't completely shift retail trends. That path was already laid out. COVID just accelerated all of those things. And who's adapting is doing okay. And those who aren't are in trouble. Temporary closures, I think, were the biggest factor, in my opinion, followed by the economic contraction in a close second. I think the fear of being in public and the confusion of what local, state, and federal government was and still is suggesting protocol should be has been sending mixed messages and demanding flexibility from businesses. That idea of who and what is defined as essential or not also played a factor. I know a few would argue that the container store was essential the sixth week into lockdown. So, <laughs> But it pains me to see uh, and say this, that Amazon really was an undeniable factor in 2020. I'll go on record and say I am not an Amazon customer for a few reasons. 
The company really spearheaded e-commerce's surge overall, though, due to convenience. And that pressure led us to the real trend that won COVID and will continue to save retail, and that's logistics. It pressured brick and mortar to bulk up on or create systems for checking store inventory online and offering various avenues of pickup and delivery. I beg that that continues to be embraced because those are the things Amazon can't compete with, right? That instant gratification, that customer experience, and the multiple ways to shop. You know, everyone shops differently, and it depends on even the customer's day and mood. They're a moving target, so we need to meet them where they are. And COVID really allowed us to break that open and explore that and accelerate those factors. People thrive when there are options, so retailers need to stay flexible and abundant in their offerings. Make sure that path to purchase is smooth and customers need to feel catered to in self and situation. And I want to talk about this idea of feeling catered to. There's always been talk of brick and mortar, and I've talked about it on this show before, brick and mortar and and what that looks like now and maybe the death of it and the mediocrity of it. But even more so, yes, Amazon was able to spearhead e-commerce. And we know that there's going to eventually, you know, once the vaccines roll out, there is going to be a resurgence to the in-store space. But I do think there's two other things that are at play for how we will engage. And I want to know what your thoughts are, because we have social issues that occurred through 2020 that are making its way through 2021, obviously. And we have political issues that really ramped up in 2020 and then in 2021. And both of those actually have impact on consumer behavior and retail. What are you seeing as you look at the trend with this? I'm seeing that when it really comes down to people making choices, it's really split because you have consumers that do care. You know, sustainability is a huge factor and people are voting with their wallets in that sense. And then you have people that almost really don't, they can't care. You know, I feel like people are really strapped right now. And people are having to prioritize in ways that I, I, I don't think any of us could have ever dreamed before. So when it comes to that social aspect, it's like, which brands am I really going to choose are better for us to really lift up and make successful, you know? And, and then when it comes down to political as well, I mean, who is supporting who? And I know this, there's this idea of like cancel culture. And to be honest, I feel like Is that going to die off? No, I really don't think so. I think it's ramping up and we're seeing it from Joe Biden's inauguration. And there's this overwhelming swell of just really pushing people who align themselves with a certain party out of the way and in really kind of clearing the seas almost to make way for what they feel are better, just moral brands that they see really engage with them. And I think that's just going to keep ramping up as time goes on. In your research, because you did mention sustainability and you also in that last statement, you made a very good point where where there's this movement of survival, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we definitely see a totally different socioeconomic breakdown in the U.S. And I've talked a lot about the fact that we're losing the aspirational client. Yeah. And how does that really impact the retail space? And I want to talk about that around terms of sustainability. And what do you see as the driving factor for consumers right now? Because sustainability has been accessible to those who 
have the money to not have to worry about surviving on their own, but they could make choices where they're like, I'll spend more money on this because it's a sustainable product. So what are you seeing when it comes to just kind of the consumer mindset? Like, do they care as much about sustainability and are they able to? Well, let me tell you, I have A, a lot to say about this. And B, I just want to start off by noting, it's kind of like widely understood. And I don't know if a lot of people listening know this or not, but sustainability doesn't necessarily just cover environmental issues in the industry. It also includes labor practices as well. Exactly. I have to say, I defer to the New York Times article. They really put it best for every Greta Thunberg and school skipping climate change protester there's another member of Gen Z buying inexpensive clothes on a smartphone. <laughs> and you know, they're completely under the influence of influencers. And it's, it is so true. So I mean, yes, I mean, on the whole, Gen Z is the most widely sustainably minded because they're being forced to. But that's nowhere near what we're actually led to believe. Because like, let's be frank, they're still buying boohoo, you know? (laughs) Right. There is that fast fashion paradox. And I feel like what they're saying on, you know, it's like a poll that we've just had with the elections and stuff. It's just like, you're looking at the numbers and going like, you're saying this, but you're doing this. Like, hmm? Right. So it's that lower price point and being under the influencer and yet, If given the more sustainable options, surveys show again and again that Gen Z is going to pay about 10% more if that product is sustainable. Here's my favorite. Uh, I talk to a lot of Gen Z just to kind of like keep my fingers on the pulse. And there are some who love buying secondhand on sites like Depop. But then they turn around and they're like, oh, yeah, there's some really great shops in like Europe or Japan. And I'm just like that sustainability factor kind of like cancels out, darling, all that packaging (laughs) and travel time, you know, like, ugh. Yeah, I think when it comes down to millennials, they are more sustainably minded in attitude than in practice, simply put. So it really boils down to self-regulation and what consumers are willing to balance, research, find, pay more for all of it. I believe sustainable products become more readily available and cheaper. That's like the key word, cheaper. People will start to gravitate towards them. I think most, especially the younger generations, are worried about money and time right now. Millennials and Gen Z are just trying to catch up. Like millennials, I graduated in 07. We were first wounded by a 2008 recession and now hit again with that economic backlash of the pandemic. And like Gen Z is feeling that too. There's like a collective majority of them that are just like, not right now. I'm too busy surviving. Thank you very much. But don't get me wrong. Like I think companies should be leading by example and pushing forward with initiatives because then those innovations become the new default. And we need that more than ever right now. So when I'm talking to a brand, I'm advising them on sustainable initiatives like packaging, offering upcycling if they can, if that's applicable to them. And this is the big one that no one is talking about, and that is reworking company-wide internal practices for sustainable efficiency. Like that right there is what saves them money in the long run. We have like diversity training and like stuff like that. We need sustainability training and regulations internally that just say like, as a brand, we're not going to do all of this. It's just like any other initiative. It's an investment. It gives them a great PR marketing moment. And then that brand is a few steps closer to being prepared. If we learned anything in 2020, it's that anything can happen. So brands need to be ready by being proactive. I always invite brands to make their sustainability shift a holistic process, maybe sharing that story even about becoming more sustainable. 
Because you just can't show up on the scene one day and be like, hey, we're sustainable now. Like that stinks of greenwashing and people are going to call you out on that. Get people on your side and sharing that story and that journey, your mistakes, your wins. Don't be like Everlane and trip on your own green halo. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to say, like, I'll end on this for sustainability. A great example of this is Selfridges, who just launched Project Earth back in September. And I believe this boutique London trend agency, the Future Laboratory, kind of helped them with that. Under this initiative, they've launched Reselfridges. It's a cute play on words. I know. It's adorable. Right? And like that Oxfam pop-up that was curated by that former British Vogue editor, Bay Garnett. Mm -hmm. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? So what's genius about the way they're doing it is that it's under this experimental umbrella program, right? So it's just like, this is all of Project Earth. And it's providing this ongoing commitment and conversation and openness for possibilities to take on several forms. With this canopy, like they're essentially inviting the consumer to have fun exploring sustainability with them. Who knows what program, collaborative project, or pop-up will be next. And that's what's super exciting and trendsetting. So speaking of Selfridges, and I'm glad you brought this up because We've looked at the industry and we've gone, okay, large format, multi-vendor retailers in the U.S. are having a very difficult time, technically even overseas. I think last year we really went through it. We had the closing of Colette, the closing of Barney's. I mean, it was like knives to the heart. And the reasons fall as they may. And just recently, even Macy's announcing another closure of, I think, about 25 stores when you bring up the initiatives of Selfridges and talk about shifts in culture, shift in mindset of the consumer, clearly product isn't always the focus anymore. If you look at the trend and you're getting all this information, is there a future for the large format multi-vendor retailer? And what does it really need to look like? Because it's not just about product anymore. Right. So I wholly believe that the more luxury focused stores like Saks, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, they can become beacons of style once again. But obviously, they need to really modify their models. You're 100% correct in saying that it's not about product anymore. Yes, stockless will always define a large portion of the brand. At least that's half the reason why you're going to the place, right? But now retailers need to consider and implement two other key factors that are becoming just as important. There's going to be way more emphasis on experience. And I know a lot of brands really try to do that, especially like Barney's and some other places too. But, you know, that is going to be right up there. I call it the new trinity, right? Product, experience, convenience. It's like what unique moments and atmospheric rarities, i.e. that social currency, can you give your consumer that they're not getting anywhere else? And then it's also convenience. And this is the biggest factor, in my opinion. How are you catering to every type of customer and their shopping styles, like diverse forms of pickup and delivery? Let me be clear, this does not mean going ham on catering to every style of whim that's out there. I mean, (laughs) would you go to a restaurant that claimed like it was a fusion place drawing on Indian, Japanese, Ethiopian, Italian, Mexican influences? Like, no, you'd be confused. And the staff wouldn't even know what's up. Like. I beg brands all the time, like have a point of view, have an aesthetic, have something that defines you and that people know to go to you for. Allow that brand ID to scale from niche to mass market. 
when retailers cast wide nets, they're going to fail even greater. You can't be all things to all people. But you can take that concept and that aesthetic, right? And you can stretch that out. Like, what does that look like in your products? What does that look like in your interiors? What does that look like as a restaurant? What other services are you going to provide that really stands out? Like, push those boundaries, right? My favorite quote of all time is Bjork's song, like, Alarm Call, which is super fitting. The less room you give me, the more space I've got. And it's so true. But I think once this pandemic is over, I see people really looking forward to stepping out, especially in new ways. Elevated luxury retail needs to be ready to reset themselves with the customer and show up for them in ways we only heard whispers of from like our older generations, i.e. service and convenience and just being more tailored to them. And it doesn't even have to be like knowing someone on a name to name basis, like you can do that digitally, right? So that's a great innovator that we can use to our advantage. But having personal stylists on staff, that hair salon in store offering those in home services, maybe like you can really charge a lot and like the older generation is going to go for that. You need to build up and become a one stop shop. Keep that brand ID tight. Become that glowing niche, that beacon of hope and escapism once this is all over. Now, one company who I think really has the right idea is Essence, Mm. you know, linking that e-commerce experience with their brick and mortar store in Montreal. You go on that site, you put things you want in the wish list, you can schedule a personal shopping appointment, and they'll have those pieces right there for you that day. They've been doing it for years. And obviously, not many of us can get to Montreal right now, and most of their customer base is outside of Canada, right? But Essence is really pushing the digital space because it's all about that screen right now. They're answering that, how can we draw on our customer into a new experience that they're not getting somewhere else, even through the screen? And I think the team has done a brilliant job, especially the senior creative brand strategist, Sasha Wells, who did a microsite for Valentino's Fall Winter 2020. It is so multifaceted and so interactive, and it looks just like the store in Montreal. It kind of reminds me of like an avant-garde advent calendar, (laughs) you know? Like, since you can't come here right now, we're going to bring this experience to you. And it's those little moments that are connecting with loyal customers, right? And they're grabbing new customers too. I have to say like, and I I will end on this, I promise. I think the place like Nordstrom is almost there with the opening of their local locations. They're trying to bridge that gap between like the store, e-commerce and the consumer. But I don't think they're all the way there yet. The research I've done on them seems like the company is just kind of as a whole quite siloed. So it really lacks that across-brand synchronicity that really takes those initiatives to the next level, however abundant those initiatives can be. When they're siloed, they seem like really kind of broken. You're just, you don't really have that feeling of like, anything that I need, I can go. And Nordstrom's is all about service. I think one of the biggest mistakes that they've done is making local inventory free. I think it's super, super smart to just like, Stock a few basic pieces, like a capsule collection at all times. Picture this, right? People who are completely new to this concept see Nordstrom's like on the top and go, oh, great. I get to run in. I'm in need of something quick because of like a last minute client dinner or a date or whatever, you know, once this pandemic is over. And fulfilling that need in that time of need, like boom, you just created a happy, loyal customer because like you were there for them and they're not confused. You've hit on a lot of great points here. When I think about what the future of multi-vendor retail looks like is one, yes, I believe in the idea that there should be this connection to the local market. Again, product becomes second and connection to the local market means 
how do you integrate local artists into the story that your multi-vendor brand DNA is all about, right? Because every product edit is telling a different story of a story that's being told. And it's the remix, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, which remix are you going to present? And to do that, you have to kind of go, well, here's the product, here's the edit, here's why we did it. But what's the experience behind why we did this edit? It isn't just to sell it. We want to show you a different way to do this other than just that core brand story. I have been pushing for this for years, which is the idea that an e-commerce site not being two-dimensional, we're finally there and that's really happening. And I think Ralph Lauren having the Beverly Hills store that you can tour when you're in Dallas, Texas. And so it's like, I'm in the Beverly Hills store. And Massimo Volpe, who was on, he also talked about that. These are things that we have to do that's next. And so there is a place for the multi-vendor retailer. I think the problem is, is that, and you said this earlier, you cannot be everything to every single person. Now that doesn't mean that there's not inclusivity. It means that everyone is welcomed, but you have to know that everyone is welcomed and it should be a welcoming environment, but not everyone will get you. Right. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think in the rush for everyone to be like, I want to have all the market share, you lose something. And so then you end up being just like everyone else. And that creates a problem. Right. So I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your approach and philosophy to research. Because for those of you who don't really understand when she said she went to the new school and Lang, there's a lot behind that, especially around how you learn in Lang to apply strategic design, essentially, like, you know, for culture and taking information and creating a story with it. So what is your philosophy and research to forecasting? So Lang, it was funny because throughout my four, well, actually, it was about three and a half years, I graduated early because this nerd decided to do summer school. I basically went through all of those years and I was like, man, like, I'm just kind of not getting this. I did cultural studies and media, urban planning, history. You know, I kind of like ran the gambit because I just wanted all this knowledge. And for the life of me, I couldn't get it to really start fitting right in my head. It was just like all these random things floating. The day after I graduated, no joke, I woke up and I just, everything started clicking. It was crazy. I'm like, what? This is like two years too late. Okay. But really that school taught me and I'm forever grateful to see myself as this glorified dot connector. I'm always reading between the lines and then like advocating for that most common sense shift, you know? Mm. I think too many times business and and marketing strategists look at like what's the effect of things and then what does the brand need to be? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm all about what is causing things to happen? Like what does the consumer need due to these factors? And how can that brand enhance or assist them? And what are we fulfilling here? I know a lot of people are going to cringe when I say this. Brand story is not something I really care about. (laughs) Full stop. I know everyone is like, so many people have hinged their careers on that. You have strategists, agencies, marketing departments, CMOs, they hang their hat on that idea. And my counteracting gut instinct is it's not about you, right? Right, right? I know a lot of agencies and strategists are obsessed 
it gets me into trouble. And, you know, I mean, and that's why like I'm consulting right now because it's just, it's a philosophy that people are like, yeah, we can't make money on that. So bye. I've seen branding agencies just make up stories. So it's like, I can't trust that. I saw that happen once and I was like, I'm done. I believe where the greatest strategy lies is how you're fitting into the consumer story, right? How are you fulfilling their wants, their needs, their desires? It's known as white space mapping or analysis, right? So you're finding that niche in the market where no one is. And I honestly feel like companies aren't doing enough exploration, right? For their brands or their products, full stop. In fact, lately, many companies and brands are just like piggybacking on someone else's success and renaming it. Like it's crazy. So I, I implore people like, please, please, please really take a minute and look because you'll be shocked at what happens when you're answering to your customers, you know, and like really digging deeper and like finding that little nook in there that's like really going to make you successful. And it just takes a little bit of time and effort. And it's, it's amazing. I think what you've just said is what everyone needs to hear. And I'm saying this to lead up to this statement, which is, and and really a question to you, We typically talk about things from the company perspective and leaders in the organization. If you were a frontline employee, you're on the selling floor, you're the cashier, you are a stock associate, is it important for them to understand how to connect these dots just as much as a leader? I mean... Obviously, I feel like leadership needs to hear it first because if you're selling a ketchup to everybody in a white glove, I mean, like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, I feel like obviously it does start with leadership, but then at the end of the day, sometimes it does come from the ground up. Sometimes it is a groundswell because I've seen a lot of situations where leadership just like is not budging. And I feel like if you are a cashier, if you are a sales attendant, if you are a personal shopper or stylist or a manager, whatever your case may be. I implore you to, you know, look at it that way as well and really kind of understand what and where the customer is at and what they need because I just kind of feel like that's where we're kind of having a slip moment. Like we're not gripping, we're slipping. It's just like here's what I have and you know, like right. Customers are just getting literally hurled stuff at and it just it doesn't make sense to them. And and it's not just like oh man, like I'm just going to ignore this. We're getting to the point where we're being bombarded so much that we're almost detesting the brands that are bombarding us, right? And that happens when you're walking through the beauty counter or the beauty section. As soon as you walk into a department store and everyone's asking you, would you like to try this perfume? And, you know, or just like how to treat customers, right? So I do, I feel like, I feel like people really need to start understanding. But it, it really kind of is like a, a top-down moment, but they could definitely meet in the middle for sure. The main reason I wanted to speak to you today, and, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about this right now and for us to finish out, is you recently did a report, and it covers the impacts of COVID-19, sustainability, social issues. I had the pleasure of reading that report. I loved it. It was so clear and concise. I'm going to ask you if we will be able to put it on the site for our listeners. Yeah. But can you take us through that report and your findings? I'm kind of going to lift out a little bit and do more of like an overview, right? There was a lot of like little things. It goes from fashion to food and stuff. And it's 
it's not only the stuff that were started during COVID, right? Because we had a lot of innovation last year. And I feel like we're kind of missing a lot of that. It was like, oh man, 2020 though, you know, cigarette and whiskey time. But we actually did a great job and we need to really pat ourselves on the back here because it was really amazing. So I go through about 18 things that I felt like really had staying power, you know, even beyond the pandemic. I will say this in general. My favorite quote about 2020 was by Victoria Gelda at Politico who tweeted, I'm beginning to think hindsight is 2020 was some kind of message from a future time traveler that we all misunderstood. Like, how perfect is that? <laughs> you know, I saw that and I died for a good half hour. I could not stop. I was in like a fit of, fit of rage of laughing because it is so true. And there's so much weight to that quote. It's because 2020 was such a breakdown of the norms, right? We're now being asked to collectively step up, problem solve, evolve. I know that the next two years are really critical because we cannot go back to what normal was because normal wasn't working. Normal wasn't working for a long time. And if we allow those things to come back to like the same old, same old, we're doing ourselves a great disservice personally and collectively. We need to continue that power of multiple options, whether we're talking about retail or the way that we work. That one size fits all strategy, it's so broken and we need to make sure it never gets fixed, full stop. I saw a poll on LinkedIn a few months ago that showed 60% of people preferred a split work week between remote and office hours. Only 15% wanted to be in the office full time and the rest wanted to be fully remote, which is funny because talking to a lot of companies, which I do, none of them are showing signs of reworking their company structures or work style. I mean, you might see a little bit of it in tech, right? With like Google and stuff and Facebook, but for the most part, everyone's just like, yeah, when we're back in the office, right? So this is a great example of going back to a normal that the majority of people do not want. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when being remote isn't needed anymore and how companies are truly responding when things start reopening. So let me end on this. I am so excited for 2021 and 2022. This right here, right now, this horrible situation that happened, this has to have a silver lining. And it's the opportunity to turn around our most basic structures, including retail, and make it thrive once again. There's something so magical to like refreshing a broken system, right? We need to demand that spark back before it fades away. And we do it with innovation. So this opportunity to create a world that we actually want and discard the one that we don't, I personally like to think that great strategy and creative solutions will get us there. So I'm excited to see what happens. AJ, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I, I feel like we need to have you back each season so that you can give us your insights on trends. Gladly. Um, we look forward to, to seeing what you do in the future. And if there was somebody who wanted to access you, how can they get in touch with you to maybe bring you on board, get your insights? Yeah, so my portfolio, I have a website, ajlequette.com. I'm sure you're, you'll put it up on the website. And it's the same thing for Instagram, Twitter. I like to kind of like Phoebe Philo my life. So I kind of stay very private and I just, I'm like here one minute gone the next. So I, I am around, but yeah, feel free to email me and I write a newsletter too sometimes. So that goes up every so often, you know, I'm always kind of doing something. Fantastic. Yeah. AJ, thank you for your time today. And hopefully everything goes well in 2021 for us. 
<laughs> and Agreed. it will. Agreed. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped to make this podcast possible. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit our show page at retailrevolutionpodcast.com and click on the donate link. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.